race, gender, sex. What's your identity? Is religion or faith part of your identity? Can you bring it into the workplace? Can your boss take care of the legal issues? Do they have an inclusion strategy? Are they literate in what religion means to you? Maybe they should give this podcast a listen. This is a Religion at Work podcast. Good morning, everybody. This is Eric Servione with the Tri-Faith Initiative, and we have Jeremy Freak, our Education Director, and we have our special guest going to be talking about diversity, inclusion, and religion here in Omaha, Nebraska. Let me just kick it off. We have Joe Gernstant with us today, and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself, what his background, and what brought him to DEI work. Yeah, thanks. Uh, good morning, fellas, and and to everyone that's listening. Uh, thanks for the invitation. So my name is Joe Gerstant, and I live in Omaha, Nebraska, and I've lived in Omaha for gosh, twenty one, twenty two years now. I guess it's home, and I do workplace inclusion work primarily. And so I speak and train, and I do some consulting and advising about inclusion in the workplace and. I've been doing that work as an independent consultant for about 13 years now. And prior to that, I did the work internally. My last job, real job, I guess, was um, leading diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency efforts for a regional healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Uh, And before that, I spent some time in in the nonprofit space. Um, And and, uh, recently, I've uh, joined the board of directors for the Tri-Faith. Uh, initiative. So happy to be connected and a part of that effort. Uh, as and well. we are very fortunate to have Joe on our board of directors. Definitely a much needed perspective. So Joe, um, for our listeners, we hope that we have CEOs, middle management executives, up and down, e- even the worker bees listening in on this podcast. And um, we won't go over definitions about diversity, equity, inclusion today, but I would love to ask you, about what your perspective is on the state of DEI work, maybe in Omaha, maybe regionally, maybe nationally, if you want to go that far. What's the state of DEI work today? It's a really interesting question, and I, and I think it does vary a little bit. Uh, you know, there's a conversation about what it's like in Omaha and what it's like mm-hmm. in the Midwest, and then there's oh, yeah. a national conversation. It, it's kind of interesting just this year. You know, if you go back to March, um, March 15th, ish happened and mm-hmm. things got pretty quiet because a lot of training and a lot of travel and a lot of events got either canceled or right. postponed. And so it felt like the space got pretty quiet. And then, you know, late May comes along and it was from one extreme to the other. I, I think uh, since the murder of George Floyd and, and sadly, more importantly, the complete videotaping of the murder of George Floyd, since mm-hmm. that happened, you know, uh, you know the, the the energy and the urgency in this work is is unprecedented uh, in my experience, um, and and there's pros and cons, but it's been right. it's been pretty hectic. There's been uh, there's been some you know newly candid conversations, specifically about race and, mm-hmm. and racial injustice mm-hmm. and systemic racism, and that's 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 a beautiful thing. A lot of those conversations have been uh, while they've been difficult and searching. They've been beautiful and they've been raw and they've been mm-hmm. candid. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, some some aspects of that conversation just hadn't happened in the workplace or, or in most workplaces before. It's also an interesting time in this work specific to Omaha. And, and 
you know, I, I just, I can't speak enough about the code initiative, uh, housed by the Omaha Chamber of Commerce. You know, like I said earlier, I've, mm-hmm. I've been in Omaha for 20 plus years and I've kind of always thought that the Chamber of Commerce had a unique role to play in this. There's, uh, you know, there's organizations that can do stuff about diversity inclusion in their workplace, but they still exist in Omaha. And, and there needs to be a conversation about diversity and inclusion in Omaha. It needs to be a community level or, uh, conversation and it needs to be corporations and schools and and we've we've got that happening now and, mm-hmm. and the chamber has played a huge role in that and and bianca at the chamber and david brown um i just i i can't speak enough about it and it's not you know it's not perfect and there's uh it can evolve but you know the, the code conference and the assessment and the things that that the cha- that are happening because of the chamber i think uh, it's beautiful and uh, and, and it's unique. You know, there's some places like Omaha where I see that community level conversation going on and those community level efforts in collaboration. But in a lot of towns and a lot of cities, I don't see that. And, and, you know, Union Pacific can do fantastic things relative to diversity inclusion in the workplace. They still have to convince people to live in Omaha. Omaha mm-hmm. still has to be welcoming and inclusive. That's always going to be a limiting factor on their efforts. And so I think that that community level conversation effort is 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 really important i'm sorry this is a long rambling answer but no, i'm uh, loving it keep going keep rambling <laughs> uh, so um yeah and and uh, there's a lot of beautiful things that are that are coming out of that and right, we just had a fantastic right. conference the second conference and carolyn wanga was the closing keynote and she's just one of my one of my absolute favorites um it was so cool to see her be a part of that event it would have been amazing to see her in omaha of course right, it was a virtual right. conference but uh it was so cool um, she's she's one of my heroes, and it was just very cool to see her part of a local uh, mm-hmm. event like that. So. I think that that is a very a small server lining is where we've maybe had a bit more access to people. Uh, we've been able to connect with people that maybe we wouldn't have been otherwise if we had to be in person. Uh, so so. L- Two things, shout out to the Code Initiative. If you're in Omaha and you're a business leader and you have not connected with Code please do so. They're part of the Greater Dreamer of Omaha's program. Please connect with them and and get signed up. I want to hone in a little bit on a piece he said that I think we forget in DEI work that we're not doing it just for DEI's sake. We're doing it to address that racial injustice and our work towards racial justice. And and I think people tend to forget that. Yeah, I I agree with that. And and I think, you know, to some extent, we've contributed to that discussion connect. We've engaged in this long conversation about the business case for diversity inclusion. I've contributed mm-hmm. that myself. Mm-hmm. I've done lots of presentations in the past about the business case. And right. I, I think we do ourselves a disservice. I think we actually take a topic, a body of work that is big and broad and profound, and we make it small uh, mm-hmm. by, we, mm-hmm. by fitting it into some equation. And there are business consequences, but I think this work is, it's so much bigger than that. You know, I, I was on a call last week with a group of a group of peers, a group of people that do this work. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the women was talking about this work and she said, you know, this is holy work. This is the work of prophets and saints and poets and revolutionaries. And and even though we're doing it in the workplace, um, I think there's a, a certain amount of truth in that. It's, it's a lot bigger than the business case. And, and Joe, so you've been involved with D&I efforts for, for almost for a long time here. And why did you start or choose to start involving religion in this conversation for you personally? Gosh, I wish I had a better answer to that. The The truth is that I really haven't uh, included mm. it yet. I see it as, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I think religion and uh, disabilities are kind of still big gaping holes in this work. And, mm-hmm. and like I said, the work is broad. There's a lot of stuff. Right, right. But I think they're, those are two really big topics that, that aren't in the mainstream of this work. And, and in all honesty, one of the reasons why um, I've been so excited to get to know you folks and to get involved with the Tri-Faith Initiative is because mm-hmm. I'm looking for tools and practice and models because I want to do a better job of including um, religion and faith in, in the work. Right. And so to that end, um, we, we see at Tri-Faith, we see religion as, as part of a person's identity, no different than a person's you know gender or gender expression, sexuality, ethnicity, culture. Um, why is identity so important? Why is identity so important for an employer to create space for? Well, identity is just an incredibly important thing for us as human beings. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't know that there are two more powerful dynamics in the human experience than difference and commonality. I, I think those hmm. two things drive the vast majority of human behavior, conscious, intentional behavior and unconscious automatic behavior. Mm-hmm. We desperately want to be a part of, we desperately want to belong, to be accepted, but we also don't want to be carbon copies of the people around us. We're constantly navigating our differences and our similarities. And so on one level, uh, religion and faith is another opportunity for us to improve and to be more intentional in our relationship with difference mm-hmm. and commonality. But, but you know, religion is also, um, you know, there's a lot of ways in which we can be different. You know, you mentioned race and gender and age. Um, those things are all kinds of difference, but they're all unique as well. Like some aspects of our identity are the products of choice. Some are not. Some are invisible cues. Some are not. Um, so they're 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 all alike to some extent, but they're all a little bit different. And religion is one of those aspects of identity. I, I would say one of the few aspects of identity that, for some people, it's the primary thing. It's the most foundational thing. It, it you know not just as a culture to belong to, but it's one of the things that they use to find their way in the world and, and to make meaning in the world. And so it has, it has very deep roots. And, and I think that's true of folks that have, you know, organizational, institutional, religious affiliation mm-hmm. and folks mm-hmm. that, that don't have that. But, but that, you know, it's about, to some extent, it's about belief and worldview. And that's a, that's a, that's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. Absolutely. And so whenever we, in, in my experience at least, if I say the word religion in the workplace, not a tri-faith, of course, but in a corporate setting, uh, you get that knee-jerk maybe of, of <laughs> you know, stepping back or maybe getting a bit apprehensive. Why has yep. been, why do you think religion, and this is an exploratory question, why has religion been a difficult topic to breach in the workplace? Well, I think some of that is is connected to what I just said about how it's it can be for some people it's such a deep and such a personal right, thing right. as opposed to other aspects of identity. But I also think part of it is the fact that there's been this rule, and in some places it's a, it's an explicit rule, and in some places it's an implicit rule that you don't talk about religion and you don't talk about politics mm-hmm, at work, mm-hmm. and so um, people don't have that comfort level. Um, I, I don't know that very many people have a comfort level talking about their faith with folks of other faiths in general, but Mm -hmm. for sure we don't have that comfort level in the workplace and we don't have, uh, we don't have that expectation. We don't have those tools. So it's a, it's a big, strange, intimidating thing. Right. So where did that rule come from? Where did no politics, no religion, (laughs) where did that come from? 
I, I, you know, probably from the practice of management, you know, talking about big, complicated, important things is not the most efficient, simple thing in the world. Yeah. yeah. And and management loves efficiency and it loves simplicity. So let's right. let's 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 pretend that stuff doesn't exist. You know, let's let's pre- pretend that emotion doesn't exist in the workplace and faith mm-hmm. doesn't exist in the workplace. So we can all so we can all get our work done. So we all work, <laughs> you know. And, but that's kind of changing. I'm seeing I'm seeing some companies say, hey, it's okay to bring religion into the workplace or at least your expression of it. It's okay to talk politics in the workplace. Yeah. Have, are you seeing that shift? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I wouldn't say it's uh, what we're talking about is, is the mainstream or the norm yet, but I'm definitely starting to see that shift. And I think it's part of a bigger shift that is like, let's be honest about the reality of human beings they're complicated and they're messy and they have mm-hmm. faith and they have mm-hmm. beliefs and they have gender and they have attraction and they have complicated lives um let's let's try to you know if we're going to spend 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week together uh let's try to be honest about that and, and validate some of those things maybe absolutely so wendy goldberg our executive director at tri-faith so she mentioned that you have this very nice way and i'm gonna put you on the spot very nice way talking Uh-oh. about like the psychology and the people feeling safe to discuss religion their identities uh politics in the workplace are you can you can you bring that out of, out of your out of your mind and tell us what what is she talking about I'm not sure. I think Wendy might be thinking of someone else, but um, I think, <laughs> you know, when I think about uh, the idea of inclusion um, to me and, and, you know, you can define it different ways and you can look at different models and it's, you know, it's a big intangible thing. We're, we're not going to mm-hmm. define it perfectly or completely, but on a very fundamental level for me, inclusion is about creating spaces and places where people who are naturally different from each other can be true to themselves and tell the truth to each other. If, if you and I work together for part of the same organization, if we've signed up for the same mission, the same shared values, can I tell you the truth about who I am? Can I tell you the truth about my opinion and perspective on the work at hand? Can I tell you the truth about my experience in this building? And can you hear that stuff? I think, it, I don't know that that captures the entirety of, of inclusion, but it captures a big fat chunk of it right in the middle. I think that's a lot of it is a lot of a lot of what it's about. And part of our truths is that we have beliefs mm-hmm. and hopes. Mm-hmm. And some of that is rooted in things like religion and faith. And so um, I think there's uh, there's there's some evidence that we're trending in that direction, but I think we've still got a lot of room for improvement. In most workplaces today, you you introduce the topic of religion. Or you say, hey, let's talk about politics, people are going to freak out. Um, we don't have that safety to tell the truth to each other. And that's always the case. But religion and politics are like really big, explicit examples of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think, don't know if I, if I, uh, if I spoke no, to it. I think that truth, that truth that. piece is so important. So, so that's something that I feel we need to hammer down on because just because we don't explain or talk about our truths, what we believe, who we are, it doesn't mean they're not there. And I think that's a very important distinction to make for the C-suite that might be listening in on this podcast. That truth, that identity is there. 100%. And, and why is take, it important? Take religion out of it. Take religion yeah. out of it. Take faith out of it. Take identity out of it. Let's right. just talk about st- work, specific work stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, human beings see things differently. And if you have a group of human beings together, you are going to have a certain amount of disagreement. That's there. That's true. That's natural. Right. Now, groups that have the right kind of relationship with that disagreement invite it and it shows up in the right part of the process and it's actually valuable. But a whole bunch of groups in the workplace don't have 
that healthy, proactive relationship with disagreement. So the disagreement doesn't show the disagreement that's there, truthfully and naturally there, doesn't show up until after the decision has been made. And it's incredibly mm. wasteful and it's incredibly efficient. You know, you, you can take all of the identity stuff out of it and some of the same dynamics are in place. It just it gets bigger and, and maybe more complicated and amplified when you start to bring different aspects of identity into it, maybe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I love that. So Let's switch to what does success look like? So when we're thinking about including religiously diverse groups in in the workplace, and, and that could take a form of an ERG or some kind of other group, what does including somebody's identity, really including, what does what does success look like to you? This will this will be another one of my rambling vague answers. Hopefully, you're getting getting used to that. But <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier. I think one of the way one of the potential outcomes, part of what success looks like, is this is another opportunity for us to be more intentional in our relationship with difference. Mm -hmm. um, to to do a better job of interacting with people that are different, that think different, that behave different. Um, there's a certain amount of benefit that just comes with getting better at that, getting the reps in, getting used to doing that. Um, but beyond that, I, I think two of the big things that stick out to me when thinking about that question is, one, you have employees, people on the payroll that are able to be, to some extent, more comfortable and whole and honest in the workplace. And that is no small thing. That has mm -hmm. profound mm -hmm. consequences on performance. Absolutely. Uh, that, that impacts the way a person's brain functions. That impacts the way they feel at work. That impacts the way they feel when they think about going to work. Like mm -hmm. I can remember in my life, if I, if I roll the tape back 20 years, I can remember when I hadn't found my place yet. I can remember laying awake in bed at night with a pit in my stomach, dreading the thought of going to work the next day. Mm -hmm. That's a mm -hmm. that's a hard way to live. That's an exhausting way to live. When you've got oh, yeah. to spend eight hours a day pretending to be someone else or something less than you are, if you've got to carry around this truncated identity, like there's a certain amount of attention and cognitive resources and emotion that the work is never going to get because it's focused on that stuff. So I think it's got profound impact on the individual, but it's also got an impact on the organization. If you've got people on the payroll that are are more whole and comfortable and welcomed and honest in the workplace, there's going to be benefits to that. You're going to get some stuff that you weren't getting before, and it costs you zero extra dollars. It's just about making it safe for people to be whole and honest at work. Um, there is, I don't care what the company is, anybody that's listening that works for an organization, inside that organization today, there are places and spaces where people who work together are not comfortable telling the truth to each other. There's a certain mm -hmm. amount of waste and efficiency behind that. Mm -hmm. Even if you're just, even if we just look at it through the, the greedy capitalist business case lens, there is stuff you can get that's already on the payroll that you're not getting today if you make it safe for people to be whole and to tell the truth at work. Right. So I don't know what you consider rambling, but I think that was a very, very well put case, economic rational case, because we have employers who are paying a wage to an employee and they're expecting to get um, hopefully 100% productivity out of that wage. But they're, the truth is that they're not unless they're bringing their whole selves to the workplace. Right. So, and if you as an organization want to understand the world and understand mm -hmm. human beings and understand the marketplace, you should start by understanding it, how it shows up in your workforce. Like there's another level of benefit. That there, there are probably segments of the market 
that you've got some products and services for, but you don't understand that segment of the market. You, you could probably come to some better understanding of that segment of the market or that part of your community um, if you simply did a better job of inviting whole, be whole human beings uh, that are on the payroll. Um, you, there's probably some profound opportunities right there. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I want to, I want to, to dig in a little bit. So I, I do have a title of a book that you should write, uh, Success with Difference. Uh, you said that term and I really like that. I like that as a title for a book you should write uh, one day. I only take 2% of the royalties for, for okay. that idea. Uh, okay. That's very generous. I've never had anyone suggest an actual book title <laughs> to me before. That's, that's, that's new. For but I do like that term because management, I feel a core or the crux of their job is being able to manage the differences in, in the similarities of the employees. So how can how can a manager really have success with difference? Oh gosh, there's probably a whole lot of things uh, in response to that question. I, I think for a lot of managers, it, it, that work starts with themselves. It starts with mm. uh, dialing in and, and being honest and aware of their own feelings and beliefs around difference. You know, leaders, workplace leaders are in kind of an interesting spot today because uh, in the last few years, expectations have changed, right? Leaders today are supposed to get it. And so yeah. leaders have gotten very good at saying that they do get it. Um, organizations and leaders are saying big, beautiful things about diversity and inclusion. And, and I'm not saying that for most of those people, there's not some sincerity there. I think that is reflective of their intentions, but in reality, they don't get it. They, they've got mm -hmm. a different job. They haven't done the work. And so I think while folks think the work starts by going out and interacting with other people, I think it actually starts inside, um, mm -hmm. being honest with yourself, reflecting on your own life and your own experience, what kinds of things you learned about different folks growing up, because you absorb some of that stuff. How does that show up in your feelings and your beliefs today? What's your comfort level working with people that are different? What's your comfort level having conversations about difference? You know, we talked a little bit earlier about how in a lot of workplaces, there's been some really candid conversations in the past few months. Well, those conversations uh, could have happened five years ago. They could have happened 10 years ago. The underlying issues have been there forever. Mm -hmm. A lot of those conversations weren't happening because of the comfort levels of predominantly middle-aged white male managers. They weren't comfortable talking about race. They weren't comfortable talking about Me Too. And I'm not suggesting that all of those folks need to be a subject matter expert, but these are human issues and human concerns they're a manager of human beings, they should have some comfort level in those conversations. And mm. I think there's a lot of room for opportunity there. Um, I think there's a lot of room for opportunity in workplace managers bringing more diversity into their network of relationships, knowing, mm. like not just being, not just, you know, having an acquaintance or a Facebook friend, but having real relationships with people of different races, different genders, different faiths and, and religious backgrounds. Um, I think it's hard to comprehend how significant that is. Regardless of your intentions, if you don't know real live human beings from different social groups, whether it's religion or race or gender, your unconscious mind has almost nothing to go on ex other than the stereotypical stuff that you've absorbed right, all your life. Right. We're, we're inundated with these ideas about, um, about gender and about the Middle East and about age and about orientation. And we can have great intentions. We have still absorbed all of that stuff. And so when we interact with people that are different, it's often kind of informed by our imagination and, and not reality. Um, so I, I think that's that's a big part of it. I think, you know, we've talked a couple of different times about how, what a central role disagreement plays in this work. 
Um, one of the ways difference manifests itself between human beings is in disagreement. So if you understand the value of difference, you should understand the value of having an intentional, proactive relationship with disagreement in the workplace. Mm -hmm. You should be able to disagree well. And that's largely about management and leadership. And in, in a lot of workplaces, that, that just doesn't exist. They don't know how to disagree well. So they kind of avoid serious disagreement at all costs. Another reason why conversations around things, big complex things like religion and politics and race oftentimes don't happen. We, we don't know how to have them. We, we aren't used to having them. Those muscles have, have atrophied. Um, I'm, I'm again rambling and, and don't even know if I'm on on the right topic. Anymore, I, I think but, we're, we're <laughs> going to call this episode the rambling the rambling episode with Fair Joe. Enough. Um, <laughs> so you touched on something that I think it's important to point out. It's when we're talking about complex issues like religion and politics, it really starts with simple but hard to execute things like empathy and understanding, getting Absolutely. to know people on a, on a personal real level and like you said not have to having to rely on the stereotypes or or the cliches or the things that maybe we consume either in a public education or in our mass media so Absolutely. really really important things uh and, and here at, at trifaith you know we, we have this religious literacy i think that's the lens that we see things where we can train people to just get a literacy like you said you don't have to be a subject matter expert but a, a literacy a competency to understand what religion is means to different people what are the main ones and some of not the main faiths and religions out there is such a, a baseline thing for people for managers to understand all of that makes uh difficult complicated scary things a little bit easier and a little bit safer it, there's still hard work but i think right. you know even even if we just talk about the the general conversations around diversity and inclusion and equity it's great that we're having more of those conversations we are almost never talking about the same thing those mm. those words mean drastically different things to different people mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. i think the conversations become a little bit safer a little bit more meaningful if we just have a common language and so i think setting those expectations, giving folks some common language. You know, I, I think there's a lot of folks in the workplace that don't want to engage in these conversations because they don't know what they can say and what they can't say. And on one hand, I, you know, that's a little bit frustrating because I think it's fairly easy to do some things to educate yourself. But on the other hand, if that's the reality of where folks are at, we, I think you and I have to meet people where they're at. I think that's always part of the work. Let's have a common language. Let's make sure in this conversation, mm -hmm. we're all talking about the same thing. Um, if you haven't, if you know some things about your religion, your faith, but really haven't been educated on anything else, here's here's some basics. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that makes it safer for folks to engage in the conversation. I think language is is a really important thing. And I'm going to add a plus one to everything you just said, where I, in my work, I've seen so many people talking about the same thing, but using different language and yep. they're just not communicating. They're not, they're yep. talking past each other. And There's a whole bunch of conversations and debates today about bias and about racism and about systemic racism. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. most of the time they're not actually arguing about the same thing. They're, they're operating on very different, you know, definitions or mm -hmm. frameworks of what those things are. And Again, it's still going to be it's still it's still a difficult conversation. But um, without that common language, all of that work, I don't I don't know if there's anything good that comes out of it. If if we're talking about the same thing, I think going through that effort of disagreeing and challenging our own thinking and challenging each other, I think there's oftentimes going to be at least some benefit out of it. So it's it's a it's a big differentiator language. Absolutely, and 
this question, uh, my last question for you, it's, uh, I'm not sure if, if I even agree with the sentiments, but I'm, I'm going to ask it and please correct me as I'm wrong. Um, how do we support non-religious people to feel comfortable with bringing religion into the workplace? Not really bringing religion into workplace, just creating that space for people to express themselves religiously. And I'm having trouble yeah, with, with the yeah. comfort piece. I think I would push back on that a little bit as well. I think in this question, maybe religion isn't, isn't, isn't big enough um, mm -hmm. or the idea of being religious isn't big enough as, as big as it is. I think that regardless of how a person identifies, again, I think there's a few different answers to that question, but I think regardless of how a person identifies, um, I think there is beauty and wisdom and inspiration to be found in the Tao Te Ching and the Bhagavad Gita and the Quran and the Bible. Um, I just think there's valuable stuff to be found there in inviting folks to, regardless of what their own belief system is, to explore the belief systems of others. Um, so and, I, and I think, I, I think, but I, but I also think part of it is the the conversation about religion or belief, whatever word we use. Like folks that don't, I don't even know if I have the right language. Folks that don't associate or identify with a specific named organized religion. Um, like we're not doing it well if those folks' experience isn't central to that conversation as well, because mm -hmm. they still have beliefs. They still have beliefs about the world and about their place in it. So yeah, the, there we we probably have some work to do if we're going to do a better job in the DNI DEI space around religion and faith. We probably have some some linguistic work to do because I don't know that we. I think some of the language we're using probably adds to. Uh, adds to the problem to some extent. And, and, and full transparency, even here at TriFaith, as, as we become a role model, a best practice, you know, practitioner on, on faith and religion, we are going through that, mm. through that process right now of exactly what right. words are we using? How are we using those words? What are our definitions, right. et cetera, et cetera. So it is, and that's important to point out that it is still work in progress, uh, but it's very important work. Absolutely. Joe, uh, it's been a pleasure hearing you ramble for these past uh, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, I have absolutely enjoyed it. Um, we definitely need to get a coffee soon, socially distanced, of course. Um, anything else that you want to make sure that our listeners have in mind when they're, when they're thinking about DEI? Keep hope alive. Keep on doing the work. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. There, I think especially right now, more things are in flux than ever before. Mm -hmm. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been the ROI podcast uh, through TriFaith. I've been Eric Servione, Deputy Director at TriFaith, and we've had Joe Gernstein just being amazing with us. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. Thank you.